So it's my privilege to uh, share God's Word with you again this morning. And what I'd like to do this morning is to continue um, to talk about basic things that we value as a church community. Um, If you remember, we were studying Mark, and now we've kind of uh, paused on that for a while. And we had a look at what it means to be rooted in Christ. Clive did a number of sessions on worship and what we need to value in terms of worship. And then I did a couple of sessions on the church and why even think about church, why should we value church, why belong to a local church, and I spent some time talking about that. And what I'd like to do this morning is just speak to you about financial partnership, about giving in the local church. And um, the trustees did send out a letter to you guys in the last month, just so you can know as we end the financial year just where we stand as a church. And I want to just say very practically that there's no, there's no reason to get all strange about money. I mean, money is a very practical thing. It's a very practical thing in the church. And sometimes I feel like people get all anxious when the preacher wants to speak about money. It's very, very practical. There's, there's, it's nothing special. Money is money. It comes and it goes. And it's, we are asked to steward it in our lives. Um, it's interesting that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about prayer. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell. Jesus was very, very practical. And so I wanted to share this morning in a very practical way what I believe the Bible says about giving. And it's a partnership that we engage in as members of local churches. And that really is my heart, all right? So please, it's not like, um, if you if you want to get nervous, get nervous now and get it out of your system and then it's done, all right? Like in The Lion, Lion King, every time... They say Mufasa, the hyenas kind of tremble. So should I just do that now? When I say money, you can tremble and get it out of your system, all right? And then it's done. So I want to just say this. I, I want to start by saying that I'm really just so grateful to what God has done for us um, as a church in the last 14 years. And um, he has really just, it's been a testimony of his provision and his faithfulness. And in May of this year, this church will be 14 years old. Isn't that amazing? 14 years old. And uh, we started in a home with a little bunch of friends, and uh, it's kind of grown from there and to, to where we are now. And so I kind of felt God speak to me in my own devotions in the last while, about seven fat years and about seven lean years. And I felt like he said to me, the first seven years of planting this church were the fat years. And we gave ourselves to a new community, and... Uh, it was very exciting, and there was a joy, and uh, everyone was just plowing in, and we saw the church grow very quickly in seven years. And then we embarked on a, a, um, a church project, a building project, and we ended up here. And it's been, it's, it's been lean years since we've been here. We've had a lot of things that have, have happened over the last seven years. Um, and I felt like God said to me that the seven lean years are over. And I'm not just saying that to try and hype you up. I really felt in God that it is. The seven lean years are over. We're coming to the end of that season. And something of Helen's prophecy was uh, speaking of God's provision, restoration, and blessing over this church community. And so this really is where I'm coming from this morning. I felt like the second set of seven years were given to... This building project given to relocating the church from Watford's here into this community, which was a whole thing in itself. 
and then really rooting ourselves in the gospel theology, which we've been trying to do for the last uh, three or four years. And I feel like that's part of God's process and what he's calling us into. And so I just want to remind you as I start of God's goodness and of that picture of, that Helen had, the, the rainbow over this church of God's provision and every good thing that he has for this church community, all right? And if you haven't familiarized yourself with that um, prophecy, there are copies at the back there on the table. We're also going to get it up onto our webpage. We have a new webpage that will go live in the next short while, and I'm holding it up at the moment, so I apologize for that, but um, we're going to be getting our new webpage up on, which we feel is something of the new thing that God is doing, just to demonstrate a whole fresh thing that God is doing in the church. And so I want to just say that all that we've seen in the last 14 years has been because of generous people. I don't know if you know, some of you that are new in the church that have only joined us since, um, you know, since we've been in this building. I remember in the, when, we were, when we were working towards get this, get, getting this building, people sold their, their homes. Their, their fa- I'm thinking of one particular friend. They're not even here in the church anymore. They have relocated to another nation. They sold their holiday home and gave a portion of their holiday home to this building. And they're not even here anymore. Isn't that amazing? I know there were people that remortgaged their homes and released equity and gave large sums of money, 10, 15,000 pounds at a time, to see this happen. And now we are enjoying this, many of us, are enjoying the sacrifice and the generosity of people that have gone before us. Doesn't that encourage you? And I want to just encourage you that for the next seven years, which I really do believe are going to be years of building and growing and getting into this community in a practical way, that we all still have our part to play. And we are so grateful for everybody who's gone before. And like I said, there have literally been hundreds of people that have come through this church. And I think of some of my friends now living in Hong Kong, Australia, Canada, South Africa, all over the world, people from this church who sowed into this church are now being a blessing in other communities. Some people are living in different cities in the UK when they've relocated to Oxford and to other places from this church. It's a brilliant thing that God has done. And I want to encourage you with that. So I want to start by just saying that God has been good to us. Yeah, in every way. And because of people's generosity, we have this facility uh, we have an amazing children's facility upstairs. We've been able to host various things like marriage seminars, parenting seminars, youth events. We've been, we've been partnering with the local schools in this last year. I don't know if you know, but we had 180 kids in this building in the last month or so learning about stuff that um, Step and 267 were doing with them. And it was brilliant just to be able to open our facility and say, come and use it. And all these kids were here just hearing the gospel. It's a brilliant thing. It's an amazing thing, and all of that is possible because of people's generosity. We've been able to um, see people in financial need in the church helped through this this local church because of people's generosity. We've seen um, sent money to the tsunami victims. We've sent money to the Philippine catastrophe. We, We support people in Slovenia, in Romania, monthly, just because of generosity through this local church. It's a brilliant thing. It's a brilliant thing. And we support other local churches and ministries. And really, I've said this before, but those chairs there are a reminder, and the empty chairs next to you are a reminder of why we exist as a church. (laughs) 
We exist as a church because of the people that are not yet here. I want to say that over and over and over again. We exist for others. We exist for those that are not yet saved. We exist for those that still need to come and hear of the good news of Jesus, the gospel of forgiveness that um, we have enjoyed ourselves. And so I want to just encourage you that we want to see this place filled with radically saved people. We want to see more and more pastors equipped, counselors equipped to care for the lost and the broken. We want to see everyone find a sense of belonging in this community as we offer hospitality and friendship. And really, we want to be a church that impacts this local community, this part of the community, together with other churches, like City Church down the road, like the Vineyard, like St. Paul's, where churches are preaching the gospel. We want there to be a partnership and cooperation between us and other churches to see the kingdom come in this community. Would someone say amen? And so God has got so much... Uh, in store for us. And I, my heart really this morning is to encourage you on a journey of generosity in your own life uh, as we partner together. And all that we've I've said this morning, all that we've seen is because of been the generosity of many, many people, many of whom we haven't met. And so I want to just um, talk about financial partnership this morning. And I want to underpin it with three little things that I want you to understand before we even start talking about money, all right? The first is this, that God is good. (laughs) God is good. I love Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for His good and His love endures forever. Amen? This is the God we serve. He's constantly good towards us in every way. And I want to, one of my heroes is Martin Luther. Sorry to be so unfashionable. Um, There are all these super cool pastors today that look very hip and trendy. Well, one of my heroes of all time is Martin Luther. I love, I love his writing. And he said this in one of his devotions uh, out of Psalm 118. He said this, Don't skim over these words too quickly, that God is good. Don't say them too quickly or irreverently, even in church. God is good, much better than any human. God, from the very bottom of his heart, is inclined to help people and continually do what is good. I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you are, whatever your situation, whatever your job situation, whatever the situation in your marriage, God is good, and His heart towards you is that He wants to continually do what is good in your life. He wants to take you on a process of experiencing His blessing and His goodness in an unfolding way in your life. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't like to get angry, Luther says, or to punish people. He only does so when it's necessary, when he's forced into it by a person's wickedness and the stubborn refusal to change. No person could ever be as patient as God is. They would punish a hundred thousand times sooner and more severely than God ever does. God proves beyond a shadow of doubt that he is good and loving. His daily and continual goodness shows this in rich and powerful ways. This psalm says, "...his love endures forever." In other words, God continually does what is best for us. He provides for our bodies, our souls, and He protects us day and night. He continues to preserve our lives. He lets the sun and moon shine for us and allows sky, the sky, fire, air, and water to serve us. The Lord causes the earth to give us everything we need. Food, wood, cattle feed. Well, that was His day, all right? And the resources for making wine. And clothes. He gives us good and gold and silver. 
homes, families, spouses, children, animals, birds, and fish. Who can count the Lord's blessing? God is good. Right? That's where we're starting this morning. Secondly, I want to remind you of His grace in your life. God's saving grace. I love Genesis. Even the Old Testament, in the first book of the Bible, the grace of God is mentioned. And it says simply of Noah, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want to encourage you this morning as we go forward that we would find grace for our lives. That you would find grace for your life. And Tozer, A.W. Tozer, a wonderful uh, theologian, says this, Grace is the goodness of God confronting our human demerits. Grace is what God is, unchanging, infinite, eternal. And it throws light on his dealings with men and women throughout the Old Testament dispensation and throughout history. It is certainly the truth and a proper thing for us to hold to that no one was ever saved and no one now is ever saved and no one will ever be saved except by the grace of God. Amen? All of us. Moses came before the law and was saved only by grace. Uh, during the time of Moses, no one was, was saved except by grace. After Moses, before the cross, after the cross, and during all time and dispensations anywhere, no one has ever been saved by anything except the grace of God. I want to remind you of that. When the gospel transforms you, when the grace of God transforms you, it changes everything. And it changes our value systems. It changes our life, how we see the world, how we see ourselves. And in particular, also, as we're talking about finances this morning, how we see financial wealth, how we see the stewarding of money, the gospel transforms that in our lives. It must. And uh, I love the story of Zacchaeus. I've preached on Zacchaeus before. This miserly, ungenerous, stingy man that was ripping off everybody that he could as a tax collector, he meets Jesus. And the first thing that he knows what to do after he's been saved by this, the grace of the Lord Jesus, what does he do? The first thing he does is he repays those that he's ripped off. It's so practical. Amen? This is what the grace of God does. And so I want to point you to the third thing. I'm really going to speak briefly this morning, I hope. <laughs> you don't believe me, eh? Ian? Generosity is the real issue. Generosity is the real issue. C.S. Lewis Another hero of mine says this, There ought to be things that we would like to do but cannot do because of our charitable expenditure which excludes them. I would like to say there should be things that we can, would like to do and can't do because of our kingdom expenditure. Yes? And we value the kingdom and so we give things in terms of the kingdom. And this is a battle I want to encourage you that you have to win in your own life and I have to win in my own life. It's about living generous, generously. It's about, will I just live for myself and my family and my family's needs? Or will I let myself live for others, for God's kingdom and for His people? And will that bring some changes in how I value life? And how will that be reflected in how I use money? This is a very practical and it's a big question. And uh, Jesus, like I said, took this kind of question head on. Luke 18. Do you remember the story in Luke 18? This rich ruler comes to him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know the commandments. He points them back to the, the old covenant. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. 
And the man replies, he says, all these things I've done from my youth. And then Jesus turns and says to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it towards the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. What about the other story I love? is this little simple story, Luke 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering basket. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than any of the others. For they all contributed out of the abundance, but she out of her poverty gave all that she had. And so the point is quite simple. And Jesus is making a very simple point. It's not about how rich you are. It's not about how much you have. It's about how generous you are with what you have. And this is the biblical teaching, the New Testament teaching on money, really is about unselfishness. It's about living for God's kingdom and living for others. It really is about understanding the grace of God. And biblical giving has always been motivated by grace. And I want to take on this thing of what we call our giving. This seems to be in churches such a contentious thing. What do we call our giving? Do we call it tithing? Do we call it generosity? I want to say it doesn't matter what you call it. It really doesn't matter if your heart is to be generous. It doesn't matter whether you call it tithing, whether you call it generous giving, whether you call it super tithing, whatever you call it, it doesn't matter. I I want to point you to what I believe the Bible says very simply, and it is not complicated. Biblical giving has always been motivated by grace. Before the law came, before tithing was put into law by Moses, Abraham and Jacob, the first two patriarchs, and Abraham, the greatest Christian that has ever lived outside of Jesus, they gave because the Holy Spirit inspired them to give and they knew it was the right thing to do and they gave one-tenth of all they had because they wanted to out of worship for Jesus. And that, my friends, really is the simplicity of what I want to say to you this morning. How can we understand this thing of the tenth in a way that is filled with grace and filled with generosity, and doesn't bring people under legalism. Because we want to be a church that is free, that is not under the law. So how do we motivate ourselves to be giving generously without being compelled with this thing of, you have to give the tenth? Are you with me? And I believe that we can learn to walk by the Spirit regarding our money. And one of the great joys that the gospel brings into our lives is that it helps us to be free from fear, one, from compulsion, two. And I want to say to you that God wants you to be free in your life with fear about money and also compulsion about money. What does the world drill into your head all the time? If you don't do this, you're not going to have enough. If you don't do this, you're not going to have enough in your old age. You're going to be, you're going to be, not be a blessing to your kids. You're going to be someone who sucks money from your kids. Fear, 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 fear about money. I don't believe the Bible wants us to live like that. I don't believe Jesus wants us to live like that. 
I believe he wants us to help to deal with fear about money and live free, generously, for others, not just for ourselves. And so my conviction, and I really have thought about this for many years, and I think I have heard probably every take on money now over the years. I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, but I've heard people's perspectives, what we should call it, what we shouldn't call it, how we should teach it, how we shouldn't teach it. And I believe that the Bible simply does this, that it sets us free from a legalistic tithing, and I want to call it that, legalistic tithing, tithing out of fear, giving one-tenth out of fear that we're going to be punished. That Jesus does takes away the fear of the law. He fulfills the law completely. Strictly speaking, we are not under the tithe in a mosaic way. The mosaic system, the tithe was a tax. And so once a year, the people would take their agricultural possessions and their cattle and the thing, and they'd take them all to the temple and they'd pay their tax, their tithe, to the temple so the temple could carry on functioning and the priests and the Levites could carry on performing their duties. How many of you have done the Bible course? Doing the Bible course, I hope. What is Andy Ollerton explained so well? That what happens in the Old Testament is but a pale shadow of what we are called to live in in the New Testament. Isn't that right? It's a pale shadow. So even, even giving in the Old Testament is a pale shadow of what Jesus wants us to live in and the generosity that Jesus wants us to live in. So, let me just take it head on. Does it mean, because we are now under grace, because we believe in the the gospel of Jesus, does it mean that we do not give, and does it mean that we give less than 10%, because we are under the grace of God? I want to say to you, no. No. Why? Simply put, put like this. The grace of God calls all of us to live at a different level, doesn't it? And so in every other area of our lives, Jesus says this. He says, it has been written, do not look, uh, you should not commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Doesn't Jesus do that? He takes the law and he says, I'm calling you to something completely higher than the law. In the same way he says, it's written, do not murder I say to you, if you get angry with your brother and you're angry in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart. It calls us to something infinitely higher. In the same way, grace calls us to more than just one-tenth. That's why I said we could call it super-tithing. Why? What does super mean? Superstructure. If you have a super-tanker, what is a a super-tanker? It's not just a little tanker. It's a super tanker. It's much more than a tanker. If you, if you think of a building with a superstructure, it's much more than a, just a normal building. In the same way, the grace of God calls us to generosity that is much more than just one-tenth. Under grace. Not out of fear, not out of compulsion, but because we worship Jesus and we want to see His kingdom come. So, Grace never takes us backwards. It always takes us forwards. It always takes us higher. And so it's not hard, if you resolve this in your heart, it's not hard to live live like this. Abraham lived like this. He gave one-tenth of everything he had. Jacob resolved to give one-tenth, and he did it freely. He did it because he knew it was the right thing to do. He did it out of worship to God before anyone ever 
told him to do it. So we are called in the same way as we walk by the Spirit to extraordinary acts of generosity. Remember 2 Corinthians 8. And I'll I'll put this in the letter that we wrote to you. Remember, brothers, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, about the grace of God that has been given you amongst the churches of Macedonia. For in their severe test, the abundance and their joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave, that's the key, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus as he had started, so that he should complete amongst you this act of grace. And as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. Yeah? We should be excelling in this act of giving, this act of grace. Are you still with me? Good. And so I want to encourage you. There's some very practical things I want to encourage you in. And I want to take on this portion in Malachi. (laughs) <laughs> because it also seems to be such a controversial portion in the, for Christians, and I don't think it has to be. It's such a simple thing. It's so simple. We make it so complicated. Yeah, Malachi, you know what I'm talking about. Famous portion on giving in the Old Testament. I wanted to summarize what I've tried to say up to this point. Do, the, do we as Christians tithe as if we were under the Mosaic law? The answer is no. We don't tithe in that way because that's a pale, weak shadow of the generous giving that God has called us to in the gospel. So how do we understand this extraordinary scripture in Malachi 3, which says this, and I'll remind remind you um, of it. Uh, It says, I, the Lord, therefore, say to you, the children of Jacob, sorry, for I, the Lord, do therefore, O children of Jacob, uh, from the days of your father's You have turned aside from my statutes. You've not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? You are robbing me, says God. And you say, how have we robbed you? God replies, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed. This is strong language. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation... Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there, might not be, that there might be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord your God. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so they will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the fields and that they will not, not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then every nation will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is a portion that, for some people, is quite controversial, because it's it's the whole thing of do we give a tenth? Don't we give a tenth? How do we give? What heart? What, what heart do we give? And I want to just say to you that that Malachi needs to say this to the church, to the people of God, because simply that got slack, that got careless. That's what he's trying to encourage them in. That got careless with their giving. He could have picked on anything else. He could have picked on the songs that they sing. He could have picked on how they were praying. He could have picked on a myriad of things because these people, the the nation was backslidden. He could have picked on a myriad of things. And what he does, he picks on a very practical thing. He says, let me show you, 
How you use your money is reflecting of where your heart is. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we just have to be honest with ourselves and say something of our budget reflects our value system, what we really do value. And that's what Malachi is pointing them to. He's saying, guys, you've got a little bit of slack. Come, let me encourage you. And so how can we understand this, God, this, this, this portion in the grace of the gospel? Remember, I've said it's a pale shadow of the new that God is calling us to. How do we understand this portion? Ten little principles for you. These are not laws. They are principles. All right? Please hear my heart. Please smile at me. This is always preachers. I don't like preaching about money. I have to tell you, I've tried to preach once a year on money. And the trustees are saying to me, you need to, you need to be a little bit more um, regular. More than once a year. Just remind the people what, how things are going. So I, I, I'm going to do that. <laughs> the first thing I want to say to you, simply this, ten, one of the, the first principle. God wants our generosity. That's it. Principle one. God wants us to be generous. Principle two, the scripture says, withholding from God robs the work of God. Withholding from God robs the work of God. Are you with me? Doesn't rob, we're not worried about getting rich. It's the work of God we want to go ahead. And thirdly, the third little principle out of this portion, if we are mean with our money, there is something that happens that we bring ourselves under a mean-spiritedness. Can, can I put it like that? It says here, the whole nation, Malachi says, you're being robbed. And so there's the sense of something comes upon them and their own material prosperity is robbed from them. It's like they were cheating on God and so God was just kind of saying, okay, well, I'm going to let some other stuff happen until you realize what you're doing. Yeah? And then he says, fourth little principle out of Malachi, Meanness, financial meanness, when we're not generous, it damages, it says it damages the entire nation. What is the, we no longer, in the nation of Israel, what is the equivalent, the New New Testament equivalent of the entire nation? It's the church, it's the, 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 the people of God. If we are mean, if we are ungenerous, what suffers is the church of God. That's what suffers. The church suffers. So that's why we want to be generous, so the work of God can go ahead. Uh, fifthly, it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And uh, this is what I've discovered in my own life. You know, we all, we all like to think we're more generous than we are, don't we? <laughs> we all like to think we're more generous than we are. And basically what, what Malachi is saying here is, don't cheat. And you see, this is where all those legalistic questions come in. And I've heard these often in the life of the church. How do I give? Do I give before tax? Do I give after tax? You see, that's a legalistic question. That's trying to say, well, actually, uh, I want to try and give the least that I can. So what, what do I do? Should I take my tithe off after tax? Because, you know, that's less. <laughs> it's not a generous question, is it? <laughs> Let's be honest. It's not a generous question. No, no, surely it should be, God, I'll just give you one-tenth at least. And then I'll give you more as well. Now everyone's looking at me like, you're crazy. And I want to just say, because it is my testimony, Helen and I have lived like this since our 20s. It's not even an issue for us. The first tenth goes to Jesus. 
Every month, this local church gets our first tenth. And we give above that, we give to charities and things that we believe in. So we live on less than 90%. And it's not a problem for us. We don't, we don't get upset every month and say, oh God, if I, uh, that holiday is looking far out of reach now because I've got to give this money to you, Lord. And it's just such a drag. And that's how we've lived. And you know what I have to say to you? God has provided for us. And you see, this is the thing. This is the thing that I'm trying to express this morning. It's not a, a commercial transaction with God under the gospel. It's not if I give my 10%, he's going to give me more. It's not if I sow my Morris Minor, I'm going to get a Mercedes Benz. It's not that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a lifestyle of honoring God. And you know what? Over your life, when you do that, God honors you. He does. And I I defy anyone here to tell me otherwise, because that is the testimony of my life. Two financial testimonies for you, and I'm not a prosperity guy. Last year, we were struggling a little bit with our money, and we needed some work done in our house. Our wiring was messed. So you switch on the the shower light, and the bathroom light came on on the other side. (laughs) And you switch on this light, and and our bedroom light came on. We had some problems with our wiring. We didn't have the money. So Helen, one night, it was a Sunday night, I remember well. She's praying. <clears throat> and she says, I feel like we should ask God for where the fish are. Remember that story in the, in the, in the New Testament? Where Jesus says, no, they've got to pay their tax. And he says, well, you know, just go, you'll catch a fish in the sea. And when you open the mouth of the fish, there'll be a gold coin, enough for, enough for your what you need. So Helen said, um, we need to pray. God knows where the fish are. Let's pray for the fish. So we, a little simple prayer. God, we pray for the fish. Wherever the fish are, please provide for us. The next day, I get a letter from a lawyer down in Devon saying that I have an inheritance, a small inheritance from a long-lost relative that I've never, ever met. Never, ever met. And to cut a long story short, we were paid out enough money to fix all of our wiring in our house, and God provided the fish. You see, that's my story. I don't know what your story is, but that's my story. You all know what we've been through with Matthew. We are going through the process now. They're about to pay us out in the next couple of weeks all that we need to put him through university because of of this insurance. I don't know how it works. All I know is this, is if you honor God, He will honor you. That is it. And it's not a slot machine, and it's not a commercial transaction, and it doesn't mean that you always get money. There's many, many other things that happen in our lives that are the blessing of God. All I'm trying to say to you is, for you, for your life, how do you need to trust God to see His provision miraculously for you. I can't live that for you. Only you can live that for you. The tithe assists the work of God. And this is the seventh thing I want to say. Generosity proves God. I was just thinking of this again. Malachi says, bring the full tithe, and in this test me, says Yahweh, the Almighty, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. This is a staggering thing that he's saying. Jesus, when he's being tempted by the devil, says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Remember Jesus says that to the devil? This is the only place in the entire scripture that we are told that we can test God. 
Did you know that? It says, if you live like this, God will prove himself to you. That's what the scripture is saying. I I find it fascinating. From the very beginning in Genesis, God is not interested in proving his existence. Have you ever noticed that? It just says, in the beginning was God. It takes God's presence for granted. And and it just starts in that very simple way. And here is the only time that we're encouraged to test God and that we can see that he actually does exist. (laughs) That's what it's saying. And so, I want to say to you, nothing proves more the reality of God in your life than when you live for him. That proves his reality. And the greatest way, one of the greatest ways to prove that you are living your life for God is through how you handle your money. That's not a commercial transaction. We give freely, we give eagerly, we give generously, we give led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. And when we do that, God over our lives takes care of us and provides for us in ways that we could never hope or dream of or imagine. And it says, the last thing, I will pour down on you a blessing. And it talks about, and again I want to say I don't fully understand how it works, but there is this promise from God that he will help us and bless us in our lives if we just honor him. And then ninthly, it says he rebukes those things that want to devour, devour from our lives. And tenthly, there's a generosity that is when we live like this, there's a blessing that's observed by other people. Other people can see that God is blessing. Nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says Yahweh, your God. So I want to, Cheryl, if you can just get ready. I want to just ask you then, what do you think is the greatest test of being led by the Spirit? Is it the gift of tongues? Is it healing? Is it uh, powerful preaching? Is it... um, Amazing giftedness amongst God's people, maybe. And like I said to you here, Malachi chooses a very simple thing that he zeroes in on, and he talks about generosity. And for me, one of the most sensitive signs that we really are being led by the Spirit is how generous we are becoming. That, for me, is one of the key signs of are we walking by the Spirit? Are we becoming more generous? Or we're becoming less generous. If we're becoming more generous, I'll guarantee you, you're being led by the Spirit. Abraham, Jacob were truly saved people in the Old Testament, and for much of their life, they were truly led by the Spirit. What shows that they were led by the Spirit? Very practically, they instinctively knew that God was calling them to generosity to live for other people. And they expressed that generosity very practically. There was no law, there was no legislation, there was no fear of punishment. They just did it because in their hearts they knew it honored God and they wanted their lives to count for Him. And so, this morning, I'm really not trying to pressurize anyone in this church community. Like I've said, I've really really tried not to preach on money often. And I think, quite frankly, those that preach on money every week are a nuisance to the church. And uh, I don't think we have to really try and raise finances by very theatrical ways of trying to raise money. I just think where God moves on people's hearts and we obey the teaching of the Lord, there's enough money. And so when all is said and done, 
The thing that remains is what the Bible teaches about finances. And that's what I've tried to give to you this morning. And I believe that the leading of the Holy Spirit enables us to joyfully surpass what the Lord requires of us. And if you judge yourself by that test, I want to ask you this morning, how much are you being led by the Spirit in your own giving? It's a question we all have to answer for ourselves. How much are you being led by the Holy Spirit in your own giving? And so if the first portion of our uh, wealth is God's, there's just a couple of things I want to encourage you in your own life, in your own journey, about stewarding the other nine apples, if you like. Can I ask this morning that you prayerfully ask God, if you have fear in your heart about money, ask God to help you deal with your fear about money. The fear that you're not going to have enough. The fear that you're going to run out in your old age. The fear that you can't give because then you won't have enough at the end of the month. I want to say this, the word for, um, in the Old Testament for, for uh, God being our provider is sakar, S-A-K-A-R. That portion that says God is my shield and my, my um, protection. The word there is sakar, which means salary. God is your salary. God is your provision. He will provide for you. I want to say to you, nothing good comes from fear. Nothing ever has good has come from fear. And to overcome fear about financial um, things, the way we overcome that withholding spirit is to become generous. It's just to start giving, start sowing as the Holy Spirit leads you. Uh, I love this encouragement from Jesus. I love Jesus. So practical. Luke 12. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, Jesus said it. He knew his disciples were anxious about these things. He said, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you'll eat. Don't be anxious about your body, what you'll put on your body. For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more are you of value than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one single hour to your life? (laughs) If you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you so anxious about everything else? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, do not be worried. For the nations of the world seek after these things, but your Father knows that you already need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen? And he finishes off and says, um, Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old and with treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We overcome fear by generosity. We trust God that he's going to provide for us. All our giving is faith. It's saying, God, I trust you more than I trust this money. So how do we give? Well, we give 
because Jesus calls us to give. <laughs> we give because it's the most simple part of being part of a local church community. We give as a starting point. We give our tithe, our tenth, our generous giving, whatever you want to call it, but we try and give above that. And Jesus spoke about um, these things as I've described. And this remarkable passage out of Malachi, the promise from God is that if we take him at his word, he will pour out blessing, he will help us, and we will not lack for anything. And I want to encourage you and challenge you in your own life to take God as his word and to see God provide for you. So how do we give? Well, Corinthians 1 and 2 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 9, they just give us some, again, some guidelines of how we give. We give freely, cheerfully, <laughs> not under legalism, not under compulsion. Two, we give regularly. Three, we give proportionally according to your income you give. And primary, you give locally in your um, local church. You see, even these questions are finishing now, and then I want to ask Cheryl to come and uh, share us about CAP, Christians Against Poverty, because I think that's a, such an important thing. Even this question of, um, I've heard people say, well, you know, they, I, I can give part of my tithe I should give to save the whales, and part of my tithe I should give to um, the Green Movement, because these are all very good things to give your money to, and you know, these are good causes, and we need to support causes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't give your tenth. You give your tenth to God's kingdom, to God's work, to the local church, and then if you want to support Save the Whales, do so. That's a good thing to save the whales. It really is a good thing. But you don't take God's portion to save the whales. Okay. Now I've offended everybody. And that's again. Huh? I love whales. I mean, one of my... Some of my best friends are whales. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, so can we just agree as we partner together for the glory of God's kingdom, we give freely, regularly, proportionally, locally, predominantly locally in our church so that we can see the work of God prosper. And the other thing I want to say is if you need help to get out of debt, we want to help you. Yes? Cheryl, please come. Cheryl and uh, Fiona have been running the debt course, Christians Against Poverty. It's a brilliant, very practical course about how to help yourself get out of debt. If we're going to teach generosity, then surely we must help people to get out of debt. So if you're struggling with debt, I want to ask you not to be embarrassed about it. Not death, debt, sorry. <laughs> struggling with debt, not to be embarrassed about it, but to come and speak to someone and say, please, will you help me? And Cheryl and Fiona are running this course. It really will help in an amazing way.